Sophomore guard Hunter Salas was quiet in Gonzaga's exhibition opener against Tennessee, but Mark Few's team needs him to have a breakout season if they want to compete for a national championship. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Well, happy November 1st, Day of the Dead. Also, the start officially of college basketball season in the month of November. We are continuing our season preview series here today, talking about every player on Gonzaga's roster, taking a look at their history, how they ended up here in Spokane. We're also going to look at their best and worst case scenarios and a more realistic prediction for their playing time this season and what their future slash NBA aspirations may look like. Today, we are talking about sophomore guard Hunter Salas and what his future looks like, what his current kind of playing time situation might look like. We're going to start with his history. Uh, Hunter Salas is the first five-star prospect in Nebraska state history. Very reasonable argument. He's the best high school basketball player that state has ever seen. Also, for a brief period of time, this is a fun trivia fact that I think probably people might forget in 10, 15 years or so when looking back at Gonzaga's history. But for a brief period of time, Hunter Salas was the highest rated recruit in Gonzaga basketball history. He was a slightly higher rated prospect than Jalen Suggs. So when he committed after Suggs has already committed, that was the period of time where Salas was number one. It wasn't long after that that the Zags, of course, secured a commitment from Jalen Suggs' high school teammate, Minnehaha superstar Chet Holmgren. Holmgren now has the mantle for highest-rated recruit in Gonzaga basketball history and is probably not going to give up said mantle for a very, very long time, if ever, because it is not all that often that a team secures the number one overall recruit and a player of Chet's caliber. But Salas was in that conversation. He was the guy for a brief period of time in a history at Gonzaga that is just tremendously filled with NBA talent and superstars in college. And Hunter Salas, highest rated recruit for a period of time in that group. Now, we haven't seen that potential for Salas just yet. And obviously he's only been at Gonzaga for one year, but let's talk about what that one season looked like. There was a belief when he came in, of course, as a one-and-done player or as a high-ranking recruit like that, as a player on Chet and Suggs's level recruiting-wise, that he would, of course, end up being a one-and-done. That did not end up being the case. The Zags brought in graduate transfer Rasir Bolton to play a big role. Of course, we knew Andrew Nembhard was going to play a big role. The expectation was that sophomore Julian Strother would step into a bigger role, and he did as the small forward last year, even with Dominic Harris uh, suffering a foot injury that kept him out for all of last season. There still wasn't a ton of room for Salas to play significant minutes in the guard room. Uh, he was kind of the third guard behind Bolton and Nembhard. He was kind of mixing playing time with Nolan Hickman as well, although they play different positions. Salas did end up playing in 32 games as a freshman, so he played every single game. He was a member of Gonzaga's rotation quite distinctly. He averaged just under 14 minutes per game. During that time, again, just... Basic basketball card stats for you, 4.3 points, two rebounds, just over a half an assist and a half a steal per game. He was very, very efficient around the rim. He shot just over 63% 
on two-point shots as a freshman. He was only 26.3% from deep. That was 5 for 19, so not a super significant sample size there from Salas, although the three-point shooting was and is definitely a talking point regarding Hunter Salas and his future aspirations and really his ability to contribute to this team going forward. He, uh, again, he... He had some really nice games. He had 16 points against Alcorn State in the third game of the season. Yes, Alcorn State, but obviously you want to see your young guys have promising performances early in their college careers. Salas did that. And then he had a really nice five-game stretch that I wanted to highlight. It was in late December, early January. This was between the Texas Tech game and about the middle of the WCC season. That was a just ridiculous ridiculous stretch for the Zags. This was early in the WCC play. Folks might remember this. The Zags were scoring like 115 points per game. They hung a bunch of points on Pepperdine and some of the other not-so-great teams in the WCC to begin the conference slate. Uh, It was a ridiculous time in Gonzaga basketball history. And Hunter Salas was a big part of that. In that five-game stretch, again, from December 20th until January 15th, Hunter Salas played about 20 minutes per game, so he got a little bit more run, not surprising considering many of those games were blowouts. He averaged nine points and three and a half rebounds per game. So we saw a kind of glimpse, a sample of Hunter Salas being a, a bigger contributor offensively, a bigger contributor defensively, a guy who's playing close to half the basketball game, about 20 minutes per game. Uh, But then after that, we just didn't see him much. After February 5th, he kind of vanished, quite frankly. He played 12 games, again, after February 5th for the rest of the season. 12 games, he averaged about 11 minutes in those 12 games. So not a significant drop in terms of total playing time. But he only averaged 2.3 points per game. He shot under 50% on two-pointers. He shot a little better from three, but it's a very, very small sample size right there. So similar to what happened with Nolan Hickman, and we're going to talk about him very shortly uh, in an upcoming podcast, but we kind of saw the two freshman guards sort of fall down a little bit as the season went on. Part of that almost certainly is the fact that Mark Few tightens his rotations as the season goes on, especially as they get closer and closer to the NCAA tournament. We see more like six or seven guys playing every night as opposed to eight or nine. Uh, There's a lot of debate about whether that decision is a good one, as we have seen players come into the NCAA tournament appearing quite gassed in the past. But it is something that Mark Few has always done, and Salas was not playing particularly well down the stretch. Neither was Nolan Hickman, so seeing both those guys lose some playing time as the year went on is probably not super surprising, although seeing Gonzaga's established starters really struggle in the NCAA tournament and having to wonder, what would have happened? What would have happened if Andrew Nembhard didn't have to play 38 minutes in like basically every game for the last couple of months of the season or last month or so of the season? What would have happened if they could have relied on Hunter Salas a little bit more or if Mark Few did? rely on Hunter Salas. He had that option. He chose not to do it for whatever reason. And maybe Salas wasn't ready. Maybe he was struggling. Maybe the the freshman year just gets to guys. I mean, it's hard. College basketball is a different animal than what you do in high school and you're traveling and you're doing all this stuff. And we've seen freshmen start to slow down as the year went on. So maybe that was why that decision was made, but it certainly seems to have an impact on Gonzaga and their ability to succeed in the NCAA tournament. So that can't happen. That Hunter Salas needs to be a big part of this team from day one until the last game of the season. And that's kind of what I want to talk about in the second segment is what his role is going to look like as a sophomore and how critical 
he is and how critical his performance this year is to Gonzaga's chances of winning a national championship. But first, our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the Zags' latest game or throughout the team's history. While the Tennessee game may not have had the result folks were hoping for, there were plenty of excellent plays, including an outstanding backdoor cut from Nolan Hickman. After starting Gonzaga's weave offense, Hickman moved to the left side while Julian Strother did a dribble handoff with Rasir Bolton. Folks, we've seen this a thousand times from the Zags. The Tennessee defender got a little bit confused. Hickman very quickly cut to the basket. Bolton, Bolton got him a pass over the top because of the screening action on the weak side there was no post player down around the basket Hickman had a free look at the hoop easy lay-in for him this is a incredibly well-designed play by Mark Few and their staff. We've seen it a hundred times, but it's always good to see it executed by younger players who maybe haven't executed it all that much before, like somebody like Hickman, and of course to do it against a really good team like Tennessee. Always, always fun. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making this podcast your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we're still talking Hunter Salas here in the second segment. We are going to take a look at his best case and worst case scenarios for the upcoming season. I've said this caveat before. I will say it again. Best cases within reason, worst cases without injury. We're not going to talk about a player getting hurt and missing the season as the worst case scenario, even though it obviously is because it's not really very good analysis. And for the best case scenario, we're not going to talk about unrealistic expectations for players, only going to focus on what at least I believe to be a realistic outcome. Hunter Salas was an interesting player to do this with because I think more than... I, th I would say more than any player on the roster, maybe Nolan Hickman's in that conversation as well. The spread for best and worst case scenario is significant. The recent episode I did was with Anton Watson, and <laughs> the spread between best and worst case for Anton Watson, fairly small, because we know what he's going to bring. He's in his fourth season. He's averaged a similar amount of minutes per game in the last couple of years. Hunter Salas, the spread is very, very wide, so we're going to spend more time in the third segment kind of talking about what we actually expect because these two outcomes are very, very different. Uh, the best case scenario for Hunter Salas is that it all comes together, that the sixth overall recruit in the in his recruiting class looks like one of the best sophomores in the country. Quite frankly, that is the best case scenario for Hunter Salas is that he loses a breakout superstar in college basketball. I don't like the Jaden Ivey comps because I don't think that every high-rated freshman who didn't have a great freshman year should just immediately be comped to Jaden Ivey, who obviously had a breakout year at Purdue last year. Uh, I, so I don't love those comps, and I think that that's like a really, really high-end outcome for any player. But something at least adjacent to that or similar to that in some ways would be the absolute top-tier best-case scenario for Hunter Salas. Ways that that happens. 
His ability to create his own shot and make good decisions with the basketball is massively improved. He wasn't like a turnover machine last year and constantly throwing the ball away and making dumb decisions. That's not what he was last year, but we didn't see him be much of a facilitator. We didn't see him be a guy who could, you know, who could get wiggly and drive to the basket and also kick the ball out to a shooter or find an open cutter. We even saw in the exhibition game, there was an opportunity for him on a fast break where he probably could have laid the ball off to Julian Strother for an easy shot. The attempt that Salas took at the rim wasn't a bad one, but he didn't put it down. And again, there was an easier shot there. So seeing those kind of improvements in his game where he's got a little bit more floor vision, he's making slightly better decisions with the basketball. And then, of course, just the straight up ability to create your own shot. He right now hasn't demonstrated that he is a playmaker for the Zags. He is a great backdoor cutter. He is a phenomenal defensive player, and his athleticism on both ends of the floor is ridiculous. His transition offense is huge. But right now, if you give him the basketball and tell him to go get a bucket, we haven't seen that he has the ability to do that. Best case scenario... He does, simply put. His athleticism, his his just strength, his skill, all of that allows him to be a guy who can get the ball in his hands and create his own shot, whether it's a step back, whether it's a pull-up jumper, whether it's just putting his head down, getting to the rim, whether it's creating another look for another player. Seeing those skills develop in a way that we didn't really get, we got maybe flashes of them last year, but seeing them on a consistent night in, night out basis for the Zags, that's the best case scenario for Hunter Salas. Of course, there's the outside shooting as well. A best case scenario for Hunter Salas is that he becomes a reliable, consistent, have to defend him on the perimeter knockdown shooter. I don't expect him to pull a Rasir Bolton or a Ryan Woolridge or somebody like that and improve his three-point percentage by like 10 or 15 points and all of a sudden be, you know, a 25% shooter as a freshman to a 40, 42, 45% shooter as a sophomore. That's not necessarily realistic. It would be great and it would certainly be within the realm of a best-case scenario situation, but more like steady improvements. 35 would be awesome. If he could shoot 35% from three, that's a 10% increase from what he shot last year. Again, last year was 19 attempts, so we're not talking about a sample size that's really worth delving into all of that much. But a best-case scenario for Hunter Salas, in addition to the ability to drive to the basket, make passes out of there, create his own shot, also the ability to consistently knock down outside shots, whether it's catch-and-shoot, whether it's stepping back on his own and creating his own three-point attempt, whatever it transition threes, whatever it may be, his ability to knock down those shots makes the opposing team have to guard him. They have to respect him out there. He's not kind of a black hole offensively where hey, we can just leave him alone uh, because he doesn't have the ability to knock down that shot. That creates a, a much more complicated situation for opposing defenses if Hunter Salas is on the floor and you have to respect him, it makes it harder to double-team Drew Timmy. It gives more room in the paint to operate. It gives guys more room to then dribble-drive around their defensive player. If you know, for if Hunter Salas has got a defender right in his face, he can get around them easier. So it creates a lot of different positive things for Gonzaga's offense. Best-case scenario for Hunter Salas, that backdoor cutting is still a huge weapon for him. He gets himself a lot of easy buckets. That 63% rate on two-pointers stays pretty consistent with many, many more attempts than he had as a freshman. Uh, And then, of course, the best-case scenario, too, offensively, is that he finds ways to get to the free-throw line. He was just over a 70% free-throw shooter as a freshman. Best-case scenario is he's that or better. 
uh, as a sophomore, 75% from the free throw line. But really, it's more important that he just gets more attempts, finds ways to draw contact, you know, pump fake guys in the lane, throw his head back, get that foul, try to get the and ones as well, whatever it may be. But just finding ways to get to the free throw line. It's easy points. It's free free points. And a couple of Gonzaga's wings haven't displayed that ability. Julian Strother needs to work on that a little bit. And if we can see more guys finding ways to get into the paint, drawing contact, getting to the free throw line, that's going to create more scoring opportunities for the Zags. Defensively, Hunter Salas is already elite on that end of the floor. The best case scenario is that he's he's just he's their best defensive player. He's one of the best wing defensive players in the entire country. The Zags use him as a trapper. He's got active hands in that situation, so he's getting a lot of takeaways, a lot of steals, poking the ball out many times, tipping passes. Uh, He's also used as a lockdown defender for the opposing team's best player. He's the one guarding Khalil Shabazz at San Francisco. He's the one guarding Houston Millette at Pepperdine. He's the one who is drawing those really, really tough assignments to guard the opposing team's best players, and he locks them down. He's right in their grill. Maybe they're running like borderline box in one defense, just doing anything they can to prevent the opposing team's best player from scoring, face guarding, etc. Salas is in that role and he absolutely kills it. The best case scenario for Hunter Salas is that it's a foregone conclusion at the end of the year that he is leaving for the NBA draft. He's being mocked on every draft board. He's showing up in the first round. He is the guy that you're seeing all of NBA draft scout Twitter is talking all about him on a day-to-day basis. And at the end of the year, we're wondering where Hunter Salas is not going to get draft is going to get drafted. Not if, not if he's going to get drafted. If he's coming back to Gonzaga, it is, hey, Hunter Salas is gone. Let's find out how high in this draft he goes. Worst case scenario for Hunter Salas, again, like I said, the spread here is pretty wide. The worst case for Hunter Salas probably doesn't look that much different from last year. He's clearly behind Rasir Bolton. He's clearly behind Nolan Hickman. He's clearly behind Malachi Smith in the guard rotation. That's the worst case scenario for Hunter Salas is that he is fourth in that guard rotation behind those guys, and it is doesn't appear particularly close. It doesn't look like he is infringing on any of those guys' playing time. Worst case scenario for Hunter Salas, he's playing... You know, 12, 15, 18 minutes per night. Again, somewhat similar to last year. He rarely plays over 20 minutes per night. He's just not in a big enough role where he can really establish a rhythm, get going offensively. He's always kind of really trying to find chances to score. We saw this a little bit in the exhibition game where he played 20, 22 minutes in the exhibition game. So he played a fair amount, but he was always kind of hunting for his own shot, trying to do something to to stand out to to make a, a name for himself. And I get it. I understand that. I don't think that's a bad thing to do, especially in an exhibition game. He he took six shots in the exhibition game in 22 minutes. That's not horrific. It's not That's not something that I think you, you would be upset about as a coach for a player like Hunter Salas. You want him to be out there looking for his shots. But in a worst-case scenario, he's never really establishing a rhythm, and he's kind of always just out there trying to find his looks. And he's a bit of a black hole on offense. Those improvements that we're looking for in terms of facilitating, finding his open teammates, uh, creating his own shot, we just don't see those improvements. Maybe they're there, but they're just not getting displayed in in an actual game situation. Maybe he's just struggling to make those improvements, make those adjustments, whatever it may be. We see a player who doesn't create his own shot, doesn't really create a lot of opportunities for other players offensively, and is kind of best utilized offensively as a backdoor cutter, as a transition scorer, and not really a whole lot else. Again, not that different from what we saw from him last year. The worst case scenario for Hunter Salas is that he attempts to take a lot more three-pointers because that is something that he wants to work on as a 
you know, future NBA player. Uh, that's something that all players really need to be able to demonstrate to be significant contributors at the next level. Uh, and he's just fails. He doesn't make more threes. He's just taking a lot more of them. Again, Mark Few just doesn't really put up with this. So if Hunter Salas is out there chucking up threes and he's not making them, he's just, he's going to lose playing time. He's just not going to continue to play. That's what's going to happen. I don't think it's a bad thing for Hunter Salas to be attempting threes. I want to be clear. I don't think that we should be mad at Hunter Salas for shooting threes. Obviously context dependent, but if he's taking open looks and he's just not knocking them down, I think you want him to do that because you know the ability to knock them down is there. But at some point, eventually, you gotta you got to make a change if he's just not able to knock them down. Worst case scenario for Hunter Salas is that similar to last year, his playing time kind of wanes as the year goes on. Maybe it's because Dominic Harris is healthy and fully ready to go. It looks like he's about ready now, so that playing time could take a hit pretty quickly if Salas struggles out of the gate and Dominic Harris looks really good. But certainly as, as Harris continues to get his legs under him, if Salas is not contributing or is not doing enough, he could lose playing time to Dominic Harris down the stretch. Uh, and then of course, the worst case scenario for Hunter Salas is that fans are not super, they're kind of indifferent to whether he returns at the end of the year. It's like, is he going to leave? He didn't really do enough to, to make an NBA career. Maybe he's going to try it anyway because Teams like to gamble on athleticism and size and defensive abilities. Or maybe he's going to come back and he's going to have a, a really nice junior year, but fans aren't like super pumped about him returning either way. That would be the worst case scenario for Hunter Salas. Uh, we're going to come back in the third and final segment where we take a look at Salas's expected role. As you would imagine, it is probably somewhere between those two things. We're also going to look at his future professional aspirations. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about sweat block. It's fall wedding season, and I can't tell you how nice it is to not have to worry about sweating through my dress shirts while out on the dance floor, thanks to Sweatblock. I was able to fix my sweating issue and still cut a rug with Sweatblock. Sweatblock was created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating. It is doctor-created and doctor-recommended. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweater odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. Also available at Amazon. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, still talking all things Hunter Salas here as the calendar flips to November and the start of the college basketball season. I want to talk about expected role in production from Hunter Salas this season. I think Hunter Salas is going to get a lot of chances to play more this year. I don't think we're going to look at a player who's going to play 13, 14 minutes per game consistently going forward this season. However... I don't think Hunter Salas is going to begin the season in the starting lineup. We saw the starting lineup against Tennessee. It was not the lineup that a lot of people expected. The Zags did start senior forward Anton Watson. He started at the power forward position. Of course, Drew Timmy was at the five. Julian Strother was at the three. And then you had Rasir Bolton and Nolan Hickman starting at the two guard spots. That created a situation where both... Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas and frankly Dominic Harris, who was healthy for this game. All three of them were coming off of the bench. And Mark Few has mentioned that he is planning to play Julian Strother in that small ball four role, the role we saw Corey Kispert take on during that 2021 season. But as a reminder for that season, for the first 16 games, Anton Watson did start. The Zags eventually put Andrew Nembhard in the starting lineup because they realized they needed to because he's really, really good. And they wanted to start that Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nembhard backcourt. That created a situation where Joel Iaia played the three. Corey Kispert shifted up to the four, and that became the starting lineup. But for most of the season, or about half of the season, I should say, Anton Watson was the starting four. 
It looks like that might be the case again this year. Watson might start at the four. Timmy and Strother start at the five and the three. You start two of those guards. Likely going to be Bolton and Hickman going forward. They want a true point guard out there. Nolan Hickman is that guy. Rasir Bolton uh, is just arguably Gonzaga's second best player. He's a phenomenal basketball player. So I think that's what the lineup's going to look like. I think Salas is going to be one of the first players off the bench, but I think Malachi Smith is also going to be coming off the bench pretty early. So it might take Salas a while to get some really consistent lockdown minutes. Uh, I do think he's going to eventually play about 20 minutes per game, though. I think his we're going to see a lot of situations where Strother's playing the four, so we're going to see a lot of three-guard lineups out there. With three guards, it's obviously easier to find playing time to get Hunter Salas out onto the court. I think it'll be interesting to see how much Salas plays those in those big early games. You know, we're probably going to see him against North Florida quite a bit. We're probably going to see him against Kent State or Northern Illinois or some of those teams quite a bit. But are we going to see him play big minutes against Michigan State? Or five days later against Texas? Or four days later against Kentucky? Or in the PK-85? Yeah, maybe against Portland State, but what about against Florida or Duke or whoever they end up playing uh, in the second and third round of the PK-85 tournament? That'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether, whether Salas is kind of trusted to play in those games because ultimately with guys like that, with a guy who... His development, his ceiling, that you kind of you don't need his ceiling to win a national championship this year, but you need him to be good. You need his lockdown defense. You need him doing more creative stuff offensively. You need depth. You need guys to be able to come off the bench, give you 18, 20, 25 minutes per game, maybe, and have those guys be able to come in and immediately contribute. You don't feel a drop-off. I mean, heck, Tennessee's their backup guard dropped 26 against the Zags in that exhibition game. The Zags need a guy to come off the bench who can potentially drop 20 against a top-tier team. Is that Hunter Silas? I'm not sure. Could he come off the bench and be the best defensive player in the entire game? Absolutely. He can do that right now. He definitely will be able to do that this season. But can he come off the bench and create a spark offensively? Can he come in, create his own shot, knock down threes, create opportunities for other players, and really be the kind of player that opposing teams have a really hard time figuring out what to do with? Because if he's that... Regardless of the NBA stuff, we're going to talk about that in a second, but regardless of his his professional future, where he's going to end up playing, uh, you know, what, what, what that's going to look like for him, outside of all of that, the Zags need him to be a player that other teams really struggle to game plan against. They need him to be a leader on the second unit. They need him to be a guy who can come in, who can play... Maybe it's only 15 minutes tonight. Maybe it's 25 minutes another night because of foul trouble, because of matchups, because of whatever it may be. But you need to be able to say, this is a guy we can play a significant amount of minutes and we don't have to only get contributions from him on half the time, half the time. He's not only contributing on defense. He's also doing stuff offensively. He's creating his own shot. He's doing that stuff that we want to see him do, because if he can do that, I really think that more than almost any other player on this roster outside of the obviously established stars like Drew Timmy and Rasir Bolton and Julian Strother, Hunter Salas's development, his growth, his ability to produce in year two, I, critical, critical for what Gonzaga is trying to do this year. If he's not that guy, if his performance looks like it did as a freshman, that's going to hurt Gonzaga a lot. You're going to rely a lot more on Malachi Smith. You're going to rely a lot more on Nolan Hickman. You may end up relying more on Dominic Harris, which might be fine. He, he might be able to do that. There's, we don't have any indication that he can't. But in a best-case scenario for the Zags, Hunter Salas is that guy. 
he has the upside, he has the potential, he has the athleticism, he has the drive, the willingness, all of that stuff to be that dude for the Zags, to be another potential lottery pick or first-round pick who comes off the bench. He has the potential to be that guy unquestionably. Will he do it in year two? Hard to say. There's a reason that the best and worst case scenarios were pretty spread out on this one because he could be a lot of different things for this Gonzaga team. Ultimately, I think Hunter Salas has a professional future in the NBA. It would be surprising to me if he didn't get that opportunity. Really high-rated recruits tend to get more opportunities regardless of how they do in college. It doesn't mean that they all are guaranteed to make the NBA, but Hunter Salas is six foot five. He can jump out of a gym. He's got a lot of strength on his body. He's a good defensive player. That should get him looks. But he needs to prove he can contribute to the NBA offensively. And right now, he hasn't showed that skill set just yet. That's why I think we're going to see more of that from him this season offensively. Hopefully not to the detriment of the team. I would be surprised, frankly, if Mark Few let him do that. I just don't think that that's going to happen because Hunter Salas's main goal is to help this team win. And if that's not helping the team win, then he's not going to keep playing. He knows that. Mark Few knows that. Everybody kind of knows that situation. But it's also not a secret that Hunter Salas needs to demonstrate the ability to hit those threes in game situations to be able to create his own shot if he wants a chance at being in the NBA. So there's a bit... I don't want to say conflicting interests here necessarily because Hunter Salas being good at that stuff is definitely not in conflict with what the Zags want. They want him to be good at that stuff too. But it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out, particularly early in the season. But I think I think Hunter Salas is going to be an NBA player. I, I also think he's maybe not going to be an NBA player after this year. I think there's a pretty reasonable chance that Hunter Salas ends up coming back for a third season in Spokane. He's going to, I think he's going to improve this year. We're going to see a player who's got... You know, again, the basketball stats, the basketball card stats are going to look better. More points per game, more rebounds per game, more assists per game, uh, maybe a better three-point percentage, maybe an equal or similar two-point percentage, more minutes per game, all of that stuff. But I think he's still going to come back. And I think with Rasir Bolton out the door after this year, with Malachi Smith potentially out the door after this year, with Julian Strother likely out the door this year, who knows with Nolan Hickman, hard situation to read at this point. But most likely, there will be at least at least Bolton and Strother out the door, probably Smith out the door as well. That creates a bigger opportunity for Hunter Salas to play as a junior. Of course, Dusty Stromer is going to be in the mix, but he's a true freshman. The Zags will likely find other help via the transfer portal. They always do. But at the end of the day, I think junior year for Hunter Salas could be a monster year, a year where people are like, do you remember this guy? Draft Twitter is like, yes, I was into that guy in 2020. And now, now look at him. He's here. He's broken out entirely. He's Gonzaga's best player as a junior. I could see all of this happening. I think that it's more likely that this happens then Salas having a full-on breakout as a sophomore and ending up in the NBA. I just think there's enough pieces on this roster right now that I don't think he's going to be that full breakout guy, but we'll see glimpses. We'll see glances of what he can be, what he can become. Maybe we'll see full games where we're like, wow, Salas just dropped 18 in 17 minutes off the bench. He had 18 points. He hit three threes, he had a couple rebounds, a couple steals. And you're like, oh man, that was that was a really great performance. And then as a junior, maybe he does that pretty consistently. Maybe that's what you see from him the whole time. And you're like, wow, this guy's phenomenal. And he's a you know a junior getting picked in the lottery because he's still super young. He's still super athletic. All of those kind of traits that have been following him since he got to Gonzaga are still there. And you can finally see the pieces all get put together for a dominant junior season. That's my expectation for Hunter Salas. And that's going to do it for me today. 
Don't forget to check out written content at scorezagscore.com. Look for more stuff, fun stuff, coming later this week. We've got more player previews. We're, of course, going to talk about Gonzaga's exhibition game against Warner Pacific, currently scheduled for Wednesday at 6 p.m. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen for your second listen of the day. Check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.